Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 175 of the podcast. Woohoo! We made it like three quarters of the way to 200. No, that's not even good math. But anyway, you know what I mean. Hey, it's great. Hard to believe there's 175 of these, but that's true. And the goal is to help you lead like never before. My guest today is somebody that if you don't know, you need to get to know. His name is Brian Miles. And seven years ago, he and his wife, Shannon, started a new business. And some of you are right there right now. You're like, "Eh, is this going to work or not? Well, it's been a sensational story for Brian. Um, the company is now known as Belay Solutions, and it has become the largest provider of virtual services in North America. Um, last year, ranked number one among small companies in the top company cultures list. We're going to talk a lot about corporate culture today and church culture, and especially like how do you survive in an era where like, you know, older workers might be used to eight to four, nine to five, you show up, you do a job. And then there's a growing number of workers who are like, can I work from home? Can can we be flex? Can I do distance? Can we do virtual? How do you bridge that gap? Nobody is better at figuring that stuff out, I think, than Brian and Shannon. And um, also, they've been included for a number of years in the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies. It's been a sensational story. And, and actually, I've gotten to know Brian and Shannon. And um, some of my team is actually from Belay Solutions. If you ever want to check that out, just go to Belay Solutions. That's B-E-L-A-Y solutions.com slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y, belaysolutions.com slash carry. I'll tell you all about it over there. But anyway, they've been fantastic. And Brian really understands work culture and how things are changing. In fact, he's got a new book. It's called Virtual Culture, Why the Way We Work Doesn't Work Anymore. I mean, what a, what a great title. That's a great title. And I think he's right. You know, the way we work doesn't work and things are changing rapidly. How do you navigate that? So whether you work at a church, whether you work in the marketplace, I think you're going to love this episode. And speaking of change and trends, I sat down recently with Scott Magdalene of Trained Up. And here's what I asked him. I said, you know, since you have a unique perspective on what hundreds of churches are doing in training today, what are the trends you're seeing for 2018 and beyond in terms of church training? Here's Scott. Well, um, we're seeing a few specific trends. Number one, we're seeing churches going from using video to supplement in-person training, and they're moving toward doing all of their training online and using those in-person training or what used to be in-person training more for building community, for developing relationships among their volunteer ranks. So that's one thing. Um, Another thing is we're seeing um, more people move technical training. So I just saw, uh, stumbled across um, an account in our system where the worship ministry has a, a a multi-step, multi-part course where they're teaching all of the different instruments in their worship ministry, um, as well as how to read chord charts and how to understand the flow of the worship services. And so they they don't even like they go beyond best practices into specific structure of their worship ministry for every single worship leader or worship ministry volunteer in that church. So um, that was really exciting to, to me to see going from best practices and information into the actual teaching technical skills to worship ministry. So it's kind of an infinitely scalable system. You can do with it what you want. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the best churches are the ones who are really investing in it well um, to, 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 to make it um, you know, realize its full potential. If you want to find out how to train your volunteers differently and even maybe get 100% of your volunteers trained, during January, Trained Up would love to get you started with online training, and they're going to give you a discount. If you use the coupon code CARRY, you will get 10% off for life for being a listener of this podcast. So go to trainedup.church today, and Scott and his team will get you set up in a way that works for your budget, works for your church size. This is for small church, big churches, and uh, make sure you head on over to trainedup.church. That's all about training your volunteers and your team. But what are you doing to train you and maybe a few of your key people? I speak at a lot of events every year, and this year, no exception. But there's two I want to highlight in particular that actually, if you're a listener, I would love for you to come. And both of them are are filling up fast. And I would love for you to be a part of Rethink Leadership and the Canadian Church Leaders Conference. So Rethink Leadership happens in Atlanta, April 25th to 27th. I'll be speaking along with Andy Stanley, John Acuff, Les McEwen, Kara Powell, and many more. Reggie Joyner is going to be there. And we're going to talk about 
leadership. And we're going to do it in a way that's like lots of community, lots of interaction. I'll actually get a chance to talk to you at an event. So will many of the other speakers. And it is exclusively for senior pastors, executive pastors, and campus pastors. You can go to rethinkleadership.com and sign up today. And then for those of you near Canada, and we actually had a bunch of Americans show up last year too. uh, We have a conference that's hosted at my church, Connexus Church North of Toronto, but it's for the entire country. And if you're Canadian, and I know there are Canadians who listen to this podcast, if you have not yet been to the Canadian Church Leaders Conference, this is the last week that you can get early bird rates. I would love for you to get in on the ground floor for this and be part of the Canadian Church Leaders Conference June 14th through 16th. We have Shayla Visser from BC, Laurel Buckingham from the East Coast, myself, John Thompson, Jeff Brody, Rich Birch, and so many from our Connexus crew, including Shauna Lester, who leads an incredible family ministry, next-gen ministry. Uh, We're all going to be together for three days, and guess what? On the Friday night, I'm throwing a party in my backyard, so we can come hang out. We'll talk Big Green Egg. I mean, this is awesome. It's a boutique event. Go to CanadianChurchLeaders.ca before Friday, January the 19th, and you will get the very, very best rates for you and your team. We just love to see you there this summer. And in the meantime, let's jump into my conversation with Brian Miles of Belay Solutions. Well, Brian, welcome back. It has uh, been great. You and I have had a chance to get to know each other a lot better since you were a guest the first time on this podcast. And Spent some time hanging out, and it's been a great friendship and relationship, so I'm so glad to have you back. I'm thrilled to be here, Kerry. Thank you so much for the opportunity, and it has been a lot of fun getting to know you more. Yeah, yeah, that's been great. So since we last talked, which was, I think, in 2015, you know, the podcast maybe wasn't even a year old, EA Help has become Belay Solutions, yeah. and you took you started a whole bunch of companies and kind of combined them into one. And uh, you've got one of the fastest growing, and now I would think one of the largest virtual companies in all of the United States. Um, Let's go right back to the beginning. It was seven years ago, uh, a week or two ago, that you and your wife, Shannon, decided to start a company from scratch out of your house. Can you take us back to that? Like, why did did you do that? What was the thought process? Yeah, so back in um, early 2010, uh, it was the springtime, I was working for a, an organization, my wife was too, where her next move was going to be lateral and my move uh, was going to be the same because I didn't have the same last name as the owners. Uh-huh. And so I knew that there was no real big direction for me up at that point. And being in my early 30s or mid 30s, I should say, I just really felt like I needed to do something different. And I'd read a book, uh, by, uh, a biography about Sam Walton, uh, and it's called Made in America. And the book was how he basically started Walmart and he was 38, if I recall. And I just thought, well, if I could just start something before I'm 38, at least I could, you know, uh, at least, you know, get in underneath Sam's, uh, you know, behemoth of a, of a Walmart and just pull it off. And so um, I convinced my wife that we should try and consider doing something different. And the idea at the time was, is I would jump ship and then maybe if it was successful, she'd, you know, she'd join me in um, a couple months in, she said to me, she said, I feel like my next move is lateral. I really want to do this with you. Hmm. And for me, it was just such a huge win. Now that you know Shannon, I mean, the caliber of person that she is as a person. Uh, she's but, super you know, smart. She's also um, an incredible leader. And so, and, and the thing for me, as I witnessed her for 10 years at a Fortune 10 company, really do an awesome job. And so for me, I thought, wow, I get that talent on my team from day one. And so we took the summer. We did a lot of due diligence. We talked to some smart people. We have some really great friend advisors that are very successful in business. And then we incorporated in late summer 2010. On the same day, in October 1st, 2010, we gave notice to our employers that we were leaving our nice, stable jobs to start this company. Where they pay you every other week uh, yeah, religiously. You know. Yeah, it's, it's a job. fantastic thing. And, you know, and, and we had great incomes, uh, but we didn't have great autonomy. You know, we didn't have the things that we had hoped for, maybe if there was something successful on the other side of this venture. So we we launched out in it in December 1st of 2010 was our first day on our payroll. So wow. it's it's been a wonderful journey since then. It's um, I realize that not every small business in our country um, has kind of the trajectory that we've in, we've enjoyed. So I'm, I'm, I walk around most days incredibly grateful. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now you decided because give us an idea of the scope of belay because you're no you like you work out of your house. That's literally yeah. where you are right now. You have no offices. None. Yet how many employees do you have? We have sixty five uh, employees here in Metro Atlanta that are W two, and then we have five hundred and fifty contractors that are all over the United States. So roughly six hundred people that are under your umbrella as a company, and you have no office. Zero office by default or by design. So. You built a virtual company completely from scratch. We have, and we've, we've come to realize that there's actually other organizations out there like us. We just, uh, we're finally finding our way out of the shadows of embarrassment because you say like, you know, if you're successful, you have an office. Right, right. You know, and it's just not true anymore. You know, that used to be the case, but that stigma is just not there anymore. And, and so for us, we're now at a place seven years in where people are asking us, how do I have a, a company without an office, you know, or I have an office. How do I escape it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we're going to talk about that, but you know, because I think a lot of our listeners, whether you work in church world or the business world, yeah. you, you have, you know, flex hours, you have people who work from home a day or two a week. Maybe you have a virtual employee somewhere who, uh, you know, zooms in a couple times a week or whatever for critical meetings. Um, but I want to, before we go there and we get tips on do's and don'ts and good practices, bad practices, and, you know, even for the leaders who are out there going, I don't want any virtual employees. I mean, you show up at eight, you leave at four. That's how it works. We're, we're going to talk into all that today. But like you, you have resisted any kind of a permanent culture. You've, you've been intentionally, well, it's a permanent company, but you have a, I mean, what I meant is a physical culture of co-working in the same place. And that's been a very, that's not an accidental strategy on your part. There's like, gosh, we just don't have money for rent. It's, it's none of that, is it? It's been intentional. No, it's help been us, highly help intentional. us understand that. Like, why, why did you start there and why did you stay there? And why do you have no intention of changing that, even as your company grows? Well, one is we sell virtual services. So <laughs> we felt like to be true to ourselves, we should probably remain virtual. So that's one right. thing. The other is, um, I just don't want to go work in an office. Okay. I'm glad to hear you say that out loud because, I mean, <laughs> neither do I. Yeah. I mean, I had an office for years, and the joke was I never used it. I only ever went in for meetings. I haven't written a message in an office for the better part of a decade. And whenever I did, there were a thousand knocks on the door. And I don't know what it is, but I just... I, there is something inside me as I got older that just said, and maybe it was because like when I started at our churches 20 years ago, I couldn't work in the church. I mean, my gosh, there were mice walking around. It wasn't heated during the week because we couldn't afford it. Uh, there was no internet. There was, it was terrible. Like you just couldn't. And then we were portable and then we had a building for a few years and then we started Conexus and we were portable again. And then even when we got office space, because we eventually got office space, I'm like, I was the last guy who wanted to be in there. What is that? Is the culture changing? Is that a personality thing? What do you think that it's, is? Uh, it's changing, Carrie. I think that um, what happens is when a person has the opportunity to work in a, in a place and they, their heart is connected to what they're doing and they can help achieve the mission and be productive for that organization, but they can do that off their back deck. They're ruined for life. Yeah. They're ruined. And so what happens is you've got this growing group of people that are now tasting what it means to work from home. They're, they're highly committed to what they're trying to accomplish. But they're going to do this from their, their back deck or their basement. And they're going to have more flexibility to help out with kids at home. And they're also not going to be in this stupid, horrible commute. Right. And so there, there's just a quality of life that's better for that individual, which means from our perspective, it's a quality, it's a, it's a more a well-rounded, happy employee that produces a greater result for the organization as well. So, so it's, okay, it's, go it's ahead. that I think is just coming, I mean, in, in, a, in a greater way for whether you're a nonprofit church you're a, or a for-profit entity, it's, it's just something that's coming all the more as people get that taste of freedom working from home. So there's a stereotype out there that a lot of people would have. It's like, okay, that lifestyle you just described, Brian, it's the guy in his boxers walking around, yeah. not really working, you yeah. know, maybe watching Sports Center, um, a little bit distracted. Whoops, I gamed a little bit. Like, you know, there's that idea that working from home equals not working. Yeah. What, what do you say to that? Is that true? I think, 
I mean, I'm sure that is true. I mean, the stereotype always has a basis in reality, but like, is that inevitable, I guess, or is that really where it goes? Because that's not been my experience, but like, what do you, what do you say to people who say that's all that a virtual culture is? Well, I, I'm doing this podcast right now in my boxers. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. Well, thank goodness for uh, staying seated. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, I, I think that that, um, that's a real easy cop out for people that want to have offices. Yeah. I think it, cause I, I see it and hear about it all the time. It's like, well, you know, people who work from home, they're lazy. Right. I could, I've never witnessed somebody that works from home in my seven years where I perceive them to be lazy. I actually see them as efficient, productive, result oriented. They're, they're people that have lives that want to maximize it. You know, they're, they're not time clock puncher type people. So I, I oftentimes when I hear that, that's somebody that's trying to uphold a dogma that they want to keep as their own personal preference. Hmm. It's like people who say video doesn't work for uh, preaching are usually right. the people who want to be the communicators. That's, that's what it. I find. Or people who are against church growth usually lead non-growing churches. I don't know yeah. why. That's just a general thing. I think that you can you can create a narrative in your head that you believe because that's you know the preference that you want for your own person. Right. But but in, in the cases, I mean, working now with hundreds of people in a remote capacity, they're so hardworking and they they understand the value of hard work and it's at home and they, they and they work harder because they appreciate the freedom that they're 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 benefited with too. So uh, let's talk about productivity at home. Uh, versus productivity in a traditional office space. Is there a difference in productivity between somebody who who is a virtual employee versus a physical employee, bricks and mortar? Yeah, no, no question. And this is going to um, drive executive pastors and business administrators of churches nuts when I <laughs> when we talk about this. But here's the reality: of what I've seen is we are replacing assistants and other types of roles in church that are traditionally working 30 to 35 hours a week on site with the church for about a 15 hour a week person from our organization. Yeah. And when a leader hears that, they say, how is that possible? And I would just say the, the opposite of that is you're paying a lot for culture. Yeah. Because the truth is you're not getting the level of productivity out of your team like you might think or hope. And um, Hope Island is a really bad place to be long term. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a great thought. You know, so I, for, for us, it's you know, it's um, we we see productivity in terms of result, and we've tried to teach our team that the results are what we expect. And they're mm -hmm. grownups, they're wonderful adults that we've asked to kind of charge the hill with us, and the results what we need, not the day to day task. They might find a better, smarter way to do that. But the result is what we're looking for. I, I think that's probably one of the reasons that I fled the office culture as we built a team, why I got out every opportunity I could, because I found I was not efficient. I was not effective. I was distracted. People were yeah. banging on my door and I would go home. I'm not a coffee shop guy because the same problems happen there for me personally. It's like the Wi-Fi is crappy. Um, yeah. I'm distracted. I have ADD. But if I go home... And I focus, and it's been my living room, my back deck, my office that used to be upstairs. Now I have I rebuilt the basement last year into really an optimal environment. If I'm in that zone, man, I can produce and in a way that I cannot produce. And interestingly enough, my assistant and I, Sarah, who used to work, we used to work together at the church. So she's come on with me now. Um, she's found the same thing. I'm like, is this a difference, Sarah? She was always great before, but I'm like... Just from where I sit, your productivity is soared. I'm like, are you just that much more mature? Are you, is your skill set sharper? And she said, Carrie, I just don't have people banging down. Like she sat in that office outside, the desk outside of my office. People would just stop and talk to her all day. Yep. She'd get interrupted numerous times. She says, I can get more done in 15 hours, exactly what you said, than I could get done in 35 or 40 or sometimes 50 when I was in a physical office environment because there's so much interaction. Yeah. Preach. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Carrie. And we see that that's not just for churches. That's um, corporate America is the same thing. So I mean, it's, it's not just church culture. It's, yeah. I mean, I used to work at a law firm. You worked what in healthcare and construction, right? Yeah. The two of yeah. you, yep. same deal. 
Yeah. It's, it's, it's just workplaces period. Yeah. Uh, there's just a ton of distraction. There's a lot of interruptions. There's a lot of unnecessary meetings you're in. There's a lot of, you know, playing on social media. There's a lot of, um, going to lunch and that goes to be an hour and a half. And there's just, there's a million things that cut at an employee's productivity. And, and frankly, there's, there's great employees out there that don't want that, but they want to be part of what you're doing as an organization, but they just don't want that, all that other stuff that's non-work related in their paycheck. Okay. And it, it just, it, that's very symptomatic, I see, of, um, of people today. So when you give someone workplace autonomy, freedom, and they're able to produce a result that's expected of them, but then they have the ability to do the things that they need to do as a person, it's, it's like this it's like this drug they can't escape. And it, and it, and they, and we, we hear this too with large organizations that are, they're struggling to bring in 40 something leaders or executives into these companies. And they're like, well, you have to come work in an office. And they're like, well, if that's the case, I'm not working here. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how much money they're throwing at these people. They're not going to go work there because they've been bitten by being able to work off their back deck. How do you hold a virtual employee accountable? Because that'd be let's talk to let's talk to the executive pastor. Let's talk to the person who's resisting virtual culture, and they're like, "Well, there's no accountability. Like, how do I even know they build me for twenty hours? They build me for thirty hours. How do I even know they worked it?" Yeah, that that the easiest answer there is you've got to create a set of expectations that equal the results you're looking for. Yeah. And if you don't see evidence of those results, then you have to have a, a just a clarifying conversation. And most most leaders I know that approach a virtual worker for the first time don't even know how to set that up. Hmm. But the, the, the truth is, it's just this is the result I need from you and then putting a lot of clarity around it. Yeah. Um, for example, in our business, we have what we call key result areas or KRAs. And the, the essence of a KRA is this. It's this statement that you're winning in your role when it looks like this. And so we just create what winning is in your job, and it, it's, it's, in essence, results. Right. And then they, they know when they're hitting the mark and whether they're winning in their job. And then, you know, every um, when an employee comes on and 90 days later we review it and we just ask the question, is this true? And we right-size it accordingly. And in about a year we do the same thing. We ask the same thing of that KRA, is this true? And then you have the opportunity to kind of, well, yeah, that's a little bit different or, you know, no, that, that needs to be tweaked a little bit. And so you, you, you basically give a virtual worker the opportunity to realize and have great satisfaction when they know they're winning in their job and it's results. It's not, they did 87 tasks, right? It's the result that you need as an organization. And, and, and that's not just for key or senior leaders. That's also for frontline employees too. You know, it's interesting. And I just want to bounce this off you because it's something I learned. Like for five years, I worked pretty much solo in the church. And then we started hiring a team and we grew, you know, as we were growing. And soon, you know, you find yourself as a manager and nobody trained you to be a manager. You're just a leader slash manager. And one of the early lessons I had, I blogged about it before on my blog, but like everybody, it seemed, wanted to manage toward process. In other words, you know, let's say I'm trying to get a meeting with Brian Miles. All right, we'll just play this out. So I say to my assistant, get me a meeting with Brian Miles. And I'm like, okay, it's Thursday. Where, where, when's my meeting with Brian? Well, I've called him three times. It's like, oh, okay, well, and where's my meeting? There's no meeting. Well, I've called him three times. I'm like, well, I don't care whether you have to fly down to Atlanta and knock on his door or like, you know, call him eight times or email him or bug his assistant or what you do. I at least need an answer to hear that Brian is not going to meet with me or I need it on my calendar. And so early on, I started like working toward outcomes rather than process because I don't care if you had to call him 50 times. Actually, if you call him once and you took the rest of the day off and that was the only thing you had to do today, more power to you. I want to hire more smart people like you because you got me a meeting with Brian. I care about the outcome. And frankly, if you're smart enough to do that in 37 hours a week, more power to you. Like I never ask employees how many hours they work. I'm like, did you get it done? Is that yeah. the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah. And I think that the worker of tomorrow will be expected to be more like that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, the challenge with that will be that you can say, here's my outcome. This is what a result I need from you. But people will still always hunger to know the why behind it. Yeah. That's true. So like the greater purpose, the greater. Yeah. 
And, and so the more that, but, but the purpose is important, but in the task, in the result, the why of that particular thing, it's on the leader to articulate that as well. So the good, good news is for you, we can text back and forth, right? Yeah. But let's say that you wanted to have a meeting with somebody. You need to say to them, I need to have this meeting. Here's why this is important to our organization. Yeah, that's true. So they, they, they get like the result. They know what the result is. I got to have, you know, get, get this meeting set up for Terry. But why is this important? Yeah. Well, and so if you can just take 30 more seconds and articulate that, then as a grown-up, as a great person in your organization that you've trusted to carry your name and your brand forward, they also have the why for that particular result that's expected of them. And man, that is a powerful place when you can do that for your team. Yeah, and I think mission is so important. I'm glad you mentioned that. We're actually in in my company, Kerry Newhoff Communications, which, you know, was barely a company a year ago. And now, you know, we have team and some of them are through Belay and some of them have hired independently. But, you know, that mission, like I always say, nobody wants to work for me. And when I was, you know, a lead pastor of a church, it was really easy because the mission isn't me. The mission is the mission. But, you know, now we're like, we're working on a mission statement. We're working on a vision statement. We're working on key deliverables. Our values are going to drive things. So, you know, they have input into that. And we, none of us, you know, we all want to work for something bigger than ourselves. And in our case, you know, we want to see people thrive, you know, relationally, organizationally, personally, we want to see that. And we can all commit ourselves to that bigger thing. And I think the why always motivates the what. Because the reality is there's going to be grinding seasons, right? Where it is going to be 100 phone calls, you know, right. or it is it is going to be, well, I got to get on a plane when I don't want to get on a plane and I got to get this done. And the why motivates the what. That's right. I think that's, that's right. Good. I think that the future of, of work will be more and more result oriented. So you'll have the leaders, it'll, it'll be on the leaders to evolve with that and make sure they're communicating the why, and especially with younger workers too. I mean, they're, Oh yeah. I hear so many people like freaked out about younger workers and I'm actually motivated by them because they actually really want to go somewhere. And while the paycheck is important, the work that they do drives them. And so your ability to communicate the why behind what you're doing is massively important to the younger generation. Well, my team is all millennials. So, I mean, I better I better get on board with that. And even at Connexus, you know, I was there this morning. It's a lot of really young people. I mean, very young people, like teenagers, early 20s kind of thing. And if you're not into motivation, um, you know, good luck with that. <laughs> well, okay. So that's really that's really helpful. Now, how do you build a culture? Because you mentioned already culture and what some listeners may know, what others may not know, is that you actually won the award from Entrepreneur Magazine for the greatest culture of a company your size. Uh, I think yeah. it was under 100 employees or whatever, which is still incredible. From Entrepreneur Magazine, a lot of people would say, I need an office because we need to create a culture. But how do you create a culture if you got a split office where some are virtual, some are you know remote work, others are on? Or if you have um, a totally virtual company, how can you even do that? Yeah, that's, you know, for, for at least this year, we're the reigning heavyweight champion of company culture, you know, in, yeah. in our size and our, in our, in our weight uh, class. But I think that regardless of whether you're partially remote uh, or virtual or you're all in an office or you're all remote, um, culture in so many instances is like that fabric, that knitting that, that drives everybody together. It takes that mission and, and results and it takes the, expectations of tasks, things need to get done coupled with your values and cultures like the kind of the glue that holds all that together. Now we always talk about how revenue is the lifeblood of an organization. You need revenue in order to con- con- you know, kind of pump the thing and make it work. The culture's right there with it. Mm. And I think that um, when people feel like they're connected to something that's this vibrant beast and it's, and it's moving in the right direction and you're all aligned, um, that it, it creates this healthy sense of momentum in an organization to continue to strive forward. And, it, and you, and you can walk in organizations, I've done it where it's so flat and boring and no one's happy to be there. They're there for a paycheck. They're not there for the meaning behind it. And you're like, Oh, get me out of here as quick as I can. Yeah. You can have a thriving, pumping, vibrant culture and it be all remote. Mm-hmm. We've, we've proven that. And, but so I think the part of the, how that, happens and it's how it's 
how it thrives is that the leaders or the founders or whomever, they've got to practice what they preach. You can't say this is important, do this thing, and then not do it yourself. For example, on Fridays, we have high lows. So on a, we, we have a private, um, it's kind of like, it's called Workplace. It's Facebook's answer to corporate America for Facebook. It's called Workplace. And we use that. It feels like Facebook, but it's not. And we on Fridays, we have high lows. So our company, our 65 employees, post their highs and lows. So a high might be, um, hey, it snowed in Atlanta this week. We're going to go out and play with the kids or whatever. Right. And then a low might be, I lost a client this week because of whatever reason or uh, my kid's sick or someone's sick in my family. Please pray for them. So it's a high and a low. And so we've done that now for so many years that it's become kind of the, who we are as an organization. And we say that this is a way we connect from a virtual standpoint. And I still do it. Shannon still does it. And it's our way of basically saying, look, we're only asking you to do the things that we'd be willing to do ourselves. Right. And so – as a leader, when you enact a policy or you enact something that creates more culture in your business, it can't be for everybody else. It's got to be for you too. Right. And the more the employees see that, the better, the stronger the culture. So give us uh, some tips on culture. Uh, it seems like you guys seem to have a lot of fun. I mean, we're friends. I follow you on Instagram. Yeah. But like every few months, you not just you and Shannon, but you and your team, your senior team, uh, you're off traveling somewhere or meeting somewhere offsite? Like, tell us yeah. what are some of the keys to creating a fantastic workplace culture in your view? Well, we, we afford that because we don't have an office. <laughs> totally, uh, totally, yeah. totally. I get that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I'd say that, um, being together now, this is, this is the, this is going to sound funny, but being together face to face does still matter. Yeah. When you're a virtual company, you to offset what could potentially become isolationist or an isolation or isolated feeling, it's we got to be together periodically. And that might be in the form of a retreat, that might be in form of a training, that might be in form of like team meetings or big corporate events. But it, we're always finding reasons to be together. Our leadership team meets weekly on a Zoom call, but quarterly together, face to face. Corporate team are all of our 65 employees. We bring them together multiple times a year when we have a really big event we call the summit. Uh, and we bring them together and we, we spoil them rotten and we communicate where we're headed as an organization. We talk about our results, good and bad. And we basically share where we're heading and remind them the vision and the vision or the mission of this business. So it's, it's a great chance to kind of have fun and, and spoil them rotten. And, and I, I, um, I had a rare opportunity. Shane and I got to meet Richard Branson and it was a really cool experience. But one of the things that he said that I'll never forget was he said that, you know, a leader can't go to a Christmas party and just sit in the corner. Right. They, that says all the wrong things to your employees. You know what, even if you're an introvert, you need to go out and introduce yourself to, you know, maybe to the, to the employee and their spouse or whatever. The, The leader can't just sit in the corner. It's, it's, it's the wrong thing for the leader to do. And when I heard him say that, I thought, that's why people love this guy so much is he's he, he people think he's really extroverted. I didn't witness that. He was actually a pretty quiet person. And so right. he was basically saying like, you just gotta, you gotta push yourself out there and engage with people. And I think that that's true when leaders do that in a virtual standpoint, you can hide behind this introverted feeling. You got to get out there and kind of be on the opposite side of that and engage with people on a face to face thing. And that's why we bring people together as much as we can too. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the other things, Brian, is, you know, when you're saving a little bit of money and even the cost of employees drops when you've got a virtual company, I'm doing the same thing. We have one team member in Nashville, one in Florida and one here in Canada. We're bringing everybody together and we're going to a really nice place just north of here. We're going to hang out for a couple of days. Um, You have more budget for that because you're not burning X thousand a month for rent or mortgage payment or or that kind of thing. Uh, So it allows you to go a little over the top. And I think you're right. It's that combination of both and. It's not an either or. Ideally, you would meet someone um, and, you know, you wouldn't meet whoever you work with, but you can do that periodically or episodically. That's right. Yeah. Any other tips you've had for... um, like creating a great culture and think about bricks and mortar, like workplace is workplace, right? It's where you spend a big chunk of your life, however you do it. What are some other things that you think earned you that top spot from entrepreneur magazine? 
this sounds simple, uh, but we just we use webcams all the time. Like it's like popping in someone's office. We don't make phone calls. We do Zoom calls. Yeah. So if I need to talk to someone on my team for two seconds, I say, hey, can we Zoom? They pop me a link and instant message and boom, it's like I walked into their office. Yeah. They can yeah. see me that I can see them. It's this personal thing. And it's actually it's in some ways more authentic because they can see that my hair is disheveled or my dog's barking or right. maybe have dark circles or whatever. Like it's it's actually more authentic, their connection, because you're actually inviting someone into your home. Yeah. And so it's 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 very uh, it's actually it's a really authentic thing. And so I'd say stop using uh, phones. If you're wanting to build a virtual company, you've got to be comfortable doing webcam type, you know, Skype, Zoom, something. Another one is when you have team calls, say 10, 12 people or less, refuse to go on mute and refuse to hide your video because those people can check out. Yeah. And so if you're building a virtual company, you've got to operate and act like a virtual company, which means that you're there. Now, if there's some crazy barking dog or baristas going nuts on the coffee beans, like hit mute momentarily, but get back off mute. Mute is the devil of a healthy conversation. And so uh, those are a couple of things. Another one is um, for our business, we refuse to let employees gossip. Mm. If you gossip, you're fired. It's in our employee handbook. There's, (sighs) There's just, it's. If, if we know that you've gossiped, you're gone. And we talk about it. We just say, look, in a virtual company, it is so easy to gossip because you're in your home. If we catch you gossiping, you're gone. We don't, wow. We're not trying to catch you. How do, that is fascinating because, you know, that's the perpetual water cooler, what so-and-so said to so-and-so over yeah. lunch, the whole deal. So you got yeah. a zero tolerance policy. So it'd be at the same level of theft or sexual abuse or something yeah. like that. It's just like first defense, you're gone. You're gone. And an employee handbook is their warning. And they have to, when they get their new employee handbook as an employee, they read that, they sign off on it, they acknowledge it. And so we just say, your warning is this. You're reading it right now that you wow. will be fired. So what and constitutes so, gossip? Like, Well, we define it for them. We help them understand what gossip means. Gossip for us is that you're taking your problem to somebody that can do nothing with it. Mm. So for example, you're taking your problem to a peer or yeah. you're taking worse, your problem to somebody that reports to you. The right way you handle gossip in our business is you take the problem up. If you can't take it to your manager, take it to someone else that's up above you in the org chart or to HR. There's a right way to take your problems up, and we we make that really clear, and we talk about that in an employee handbook, that, that gossip is taking the problem to somebody that can't do anything about it, which is a peer or someone below you. The right way is to take it up. Wow. And it's just – it becomes really clear when – you know, some problem happens is you got to go the right direction with it or you lose your job. Can you imagine what happened to the church if that became the church handbook? Oh, I hope it would. Oh my gosh. I mean, that that would be so healthy. And I mean, hey, that comes from scripture. <laughs> That's Matthew yeah. 18, right? So it's not yeah. exactly like, whoa, what a novel new management idea. But good for you. A lot of us were terrible at that. That is That is brilliant. So yeah, that's going to make culture a lot better. And it calls out the best in people, right? It brings out the best rather than plays to the worst side that's kind of in all of us. Yeah, we have people that come in from like, you know, quote unquote, corporate America, and they get in here for a couple of weeks. They're like, why is everybody so cool here? Why is everybody so happy and like transparent and honest? And and it's because we worked really hard to create a company where you, the gossip doesn't exist. And the wow. evidence of it, you know, and we factually know it, you're gone. In fact, we uh, Wall Street, um, the Wall Street Journal called us about this policy um, and, and said, hey, we've heard that this is the case. Can we interview you? And I talked to them and they're like, OK, well, that's great in theory. Have you ever done it? I'm like, yeah. And here's two examples of when I did it. Wow. And they were just blown away because they're like, wow, you actually are acting on. That was my next question. So have you have you exercised that clause? And you have. Yeah, we have. And it's it's not fun. It's, you know, it's a hard conversation, but the truth is, you know, it's kind of like when you tell a teenager, don't do it, you're sad for them because, you know, the truth is, is that they're probably really great people, but you knew the rule and you broke it. Why did you make that a rule? Because we realized early on in our business that a virtual company is just too easy to gossip. Mm. It's just too easy to call somebody or to Zoom with somebody because there's no headquarters. You can't do that under a cubicle or in, next to your boss. It's just, it's so easy to do it. So we said this, there, th- this is one thing that we've got to be 
just fanatical about to protect our company culture. Wow. Good for you. Those are some good tips. Hey, is the Wall Street Journal article still around? It is. Um, I did it a couple months ago. I think that it ended up being behind a paywall, unfortunately. But, oh, okay. I was going to uh, say we'd link to it, but that's yeah, uh, that's awesome. Uh, I'll, I'll see what I can do and if I can get yeah. it or my PR team, I'll shoot it to you. That'd be fantastic. That'd be great. Uh, okay. So any other, what are some of the other big differences between a virtual company and a bricks and mortar deal? Well, I think um, these days, less and less. I think it's, you know, the preference of the leader that wants to come to work, you know, the kind of the, the leader that was working in the eighties, maybe early nineties, they, they like the prestige of an office. So they're going to create an environment where they feel like they're in an office and they're, they're being collaborative. But the truth is you can have an office, also an awesome office and be highly collaborative and it'd be all virtual. Right. You know, there's, I'm just not seeing the difference. Lifeway is actually a really great story. If you're not familiar with what Lifeway is doing, what they did for years ago. They just ago. moved, right? Yeah. They're, they're a, they, they did something very brave. They took 1.1 million square feet of, of um, commercial real estate in downtown Nashville. And they said, hey, within four years, we're going to be working um, in a 275,000 square foot facility, which means 75% of the workforce is going to go work from home. Wow. So they took 5,600 employees and told them that, and they shipped 75% of them home over the course of four years. Yeah. I mean, amazing and brave and really ahead of a lot of corporate America that's now scratching their head saying, oh, we've got to figure something out here. Well, Tom Rainer's progressive that way. He is. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, I think in general, churches should be really proud of Lifeway's story because they're actually ahead of a lot of corporate America that's just now like scratching their head saying, how do we solve this? Right. What's the shadow side of working from home? It can't yeah, all be upside. It's not. Uh, you can deal with uh, feeling isolated. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can create an environment where you just feel like they're, you're stuck off to the side. You're, I like to say like um, the guy in Dances with Wolves when they send him out the furthest most outpost, you know, yeah. and, yeah. by himself and just barely got mail or whatever, you know, you could feel like that as a remote employee if you're not careful. And so it's, it's, it's both um, your willingness to participate in events. Like we have like a virtual happy hour where people like at four o'clock, they'll jump on with their favorite beverage and we'll talk about an award we want or some cool thing, or we'll do like uh, uh, midday coffee talks, like where we'll have a topic and 65 of us like will be like on a Brady Bunch talking about travel that month or whatever. Cool. Now that stuff is optional. So if you don't do that stuff, then you kind of isolate yourself in a virtual company. But the wow. company organization has to kind of create environments like that too. Another one, I mean, there there are legitimate reasons why companies do need offices. Like they entertain clients uh, right. or they you know, there, there are legitimate reasons for it, you know, or they've got like um, a recording studio where they need to come into an office. But I'm finding that the reasons for why you have an office are becoming less and less, especially as commercial real estate continues to get more costly. Yeah. Does community suffer when you have a, a virtual office? It does if your leaders are not intentional about creating connections for their employees. Right. It will Hence, some of the in-person events, the uh, highs and lows, the happy yeah. hour, the coffee chats, the, and I'm yeah, surprised it, even our three team members, they're texting each other. They're all moms, they're young moms yeah. and they're yeah. texting each other, hanging out. They feel like they're friends yeah. and you know, they've get, they, they've feel like they've found three new friends. Yeah. And what, what I can do too, is I'll show you an example of one of our company events. I'll send you a link so that you could share that if you'd like. Yeah, so we, we'll do it. We'll put it in the show notes. Just some things that we do as a company that I think really make what's kind of virtual just really real. And I'll, I'll send you some videos that we've done that you might want to share in your show notes or whatever so that they can just see it as an example. Because we're, we're, we don't pretend to think that we've got this market cornered. We just know our playbook. And so we're happy to share that. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll put all of that in the show notes. And again, you know, we're talking about a virtual culture, but at a certain level, Brian, I think we're just talking about people. Like, For you sure. Know, there's a lack of community in bricks and mortar facilities. There's a lack of engagement there. That's right. Uh, there's time wasted as well as some great practices. Talk right. to, um, we've, we've danced around it a little bit. I don't know whether there's more to say about it, but talk to the manager, the leader in a church or in, a, in the marketplace who is tired of all the demands, 
of the young worker who says, I don't want to work Fridays. I don't want to come in. I want to, I want flex hours. I, I want to be able to work from home half time. Or what do you say to that person who's having difficulty adjusting? I would say start preparing your retirement package. <laughs> really? Because everything's yeah, changing. It's coming. Yeah. And yeah. it's coming with a greater vengeance. Um, it's just the way it's headed globally. We're seeing this in not just in the in the states or in Canada, but globally. Uh, right. That younger workers, and when I'm saying younger now, I'm saying like 30s and 40s as well. They've they've been able to enjoy workplace autonomy and produce a result and been paid well for that. They're not going back into an office, and so flex is not luxury. Flex mm. is just the way it's headed. And I think there's a lot. There's this old dogma that like this is a luxury and it's not anymore. And so what the sooner you can either get on board with that or not, it's kind of up to you. But I, I just think that that's a tsunami that's coming, whether you like it or not. Mm. No, that's a, that's a tough word, but a, but a good word. And as somebody on the other side of virtual work, um, I mean, who's made the jump, I'm not, I'm not pushing back and it's not like I'm a 25 year old, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't, I don't think it belongs to one demographic. Um, Okay. No, that's really helpful. Uh, do you I, think I, we'll, I, real, real quick, you know, when I talk with pastors, you know, especially like in the first few years, I was really out there networking super hard, you know, and I'd say, Hey pastor, can we meet? They're like, yeah, let's meet at Starbucks. I don't want to be in the office. I, I hear that all you the know? time. Just get me out of the office. Let's yeah, go to Starbucks. So, so you have leaders inside churches that don't even want to be in their offices, you know? Yeah. So if you're a senior leader in your church and you don't want to be in your office, what do you think your team wants to do? Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, so it's it, it's just one of those things where you like you know you can't ask people to do something that you're not willing to do yourself or that you know even right. in your wants. And I think that it's it's important that senior leaders in churches really understand that. Or more likely, you know, I think what's going to happen is you know the senior pastor will be like, I get to work from Starbucks, but you don't, right? Yeah. Which is just a complete contradiction. And I've yeah. always had a very open atmosphere. It's like, hey, there are core hours. If we're having leadership team or management team, or I need this project done, yeah, you got to get it done. But I'm not going to tell you whether to show up at eight o'clock. If you're sitting at reception and our office hours are eight to four, then yeah, your job requires you to be sure. physically present. Well, I guess there'll always be jobs that require physical presence or team meetings, leadership team meetings. It's like sure. show up on time, show up prepared. But that's a yep. m minority of jobs and a minority of the work week for most information workers. True. Yeah. And you don't even need an office for that. You can meet at a hotel meeting room or at a yeah. resort somewhere. Or, I mean, these things aren't that expensive. Like yeah. rent rooms for the day are not that expensive. You know, and same with uh, like um, co working or co location places like Regis. I, you know, they're a bit more corporate y, but like there's other cool ones like WeWork in Rome. Places like this where you can you don't even need an office anymore. You can just rent that office for the day. And you do that. If you're having an important yeah. client meeting, you'll just go to Rome or you're trying to get some of your leadership team together, you need a whiteboard, you go there. Yeah, that's right. Or we find somewhere cool. Like we, you know, we were up in the mountains in North Carolina or we, you know, we're down in the panhandle of Florida on the beach. You know, like right. just don't need the actual office anymore. You know, it's just unnecessary in many instances for our business. I was driving through uh, somewhere last year. I remember John Acuff and I were in the car and there were these, um, we were going off to speak somewhere and there were these office buildings being constructed. I think it was either in Dallas or Austin. And I just had this thought and I don't know why it hit me, but it was like, they're not going to be building those 20 years from now. Not in the same way. Do you think office buildings, you've hinted at this already with Lifeway, but are going to be seen as a really like an archaic thing, a historic thing rather than the wave of the future? I do. Um, in fact, in my book, I write about this. The last chapter of my book is um, entitled Workplace Apocalypse. And it's it's about corporate America and those offices of commercial real estate that is going to be basically carcasses littered across North America. Wow. And this is a really cool thing for churches to, to not miss. There might be huge opportunity for ministries with those buildings once they're abandoned with cubicles right. and Star Wars figures and all those things that have sat in those things for years. They're, they're going to be empty. And so there's a there somebody out there is going to solve the problem of the future corporate workspace that's going to be empty. And it could be right. a ministry. 
It could be, and it's uh, it's out there, and I, and I think it's going to happen. I, I think that you're you're just seeing that now. There's some very really large companies that are saying, "Do we really need this amount of space?" Right. Uh, yeah, and they're I, paying top dollar for it. New York, L.A., right? Like, yeah. Really so great you're saying there's a new Rust Belt really coming? I, I think, uh, yeah, I do. A, a really great story. Um, Shannon and I had a chance. We were in London um, almost a year ago now, and uh, we met with um, Richard Branson's right hand guy, and he talked about how when they built their Virgin offices in London. Yeah. Um, Richard said, "This is great." He said, um, "How many people work here?" And they they gave a number, and he said, "Okay." make sure there's only like desks for half of them. And they're like, well, what, what do you mean? And he's like, no, they'll, they'll find a place to work. And, wow. it's, I, and that was his approach. That's how yeah, they started. And, it, and I, it sounds silly, but I get it. Like I'm yeah. just seeing bigger companies go like, we don't need all this space. This is silly. We're paying a ridiculous premium for this space when people can work from home and collaborate and meet in a Starbucks for networking and, and a WeWork and everywhere else they can meet at a park even if they want. Like there's just, there's so many places yeah. and we don't need to be creating these huge um, big leases that are saddle, that saddle our expenses. No, you're totally right. I mean, here we are doing a video call and I mean, even though we're using Skype because of the audio quality, I feel like we're in the 90s, but the video is <laughs> exceptional. And, you know, we, we almost could be sitting across from each other over coffee having this conversation. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is cool. I mean, it and technology has just come a long way. I mean, I mean, think about that. Like, you're literally in Canada right now, and I am, you know, a two and a half hour flight from you south in Atlanta, and it's as if we're literally could just shake hands right now. Uh, totally. I yeah, you know, it's just, and that wasn't possible a decade ago or even no. five years ago, which yeah, is probably why it's catching a lot of people who, you know, aren't in aren't 21 anymore. Uh, you know, it's catching them off guard because you kind of learn the model and then you just run the model for three decades until you're done. And well, yep. guess what? Surprise, surprise, the model changed. Yeah, your your head can't be in the sand anymore when grandma can FaceTime with her grandkids two states away. Yeah, exactly. Like we're, we're leveraging technology in ways that people don't even like acknowledge, but they're doing it daily. Right. And so it's just a natural extension. It would go into the workplace so you know, is this revolutionary, like when you think of like major multinational corporations, like even Apple, I mean, I, I see the new Apple Park, I've been to the new Apple Park they're building, I've been to yeah. their existing campuses. I mean, it is a, and they are busting out. If you go right now to Infinite Loop, uh, they pretty much have bought up all the real estate around yeah. one Infinite Loop. And, you know, all of the uh, Apple Watch people are in this building and the people working on iOS 12 are in this building. And, you know, the campus itself is huge. And then they're building the spaceship, literally, yeah. that's taking up more than a city block. Uh, and yet you think that, like, is that a wave of the future? Or do you think a lot of that will become a distributed workforce as well? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what they think in 20 years. I mean, I, I was there probably a week behind you in Cupertino, and that is an impressive facility. It's huge. I mean, the pictures you know, don't do it justice. And it would be cool to work there just to say you did it, you know, but... Will people really, when they start to have other pressures of life, like kids and, um, you know, maybe aging parents or a nasty commute, will that really pull them there long term? Well, and I was talking uh, to a, like a 22 year old, 23 year old about it. And she said, man, the traffic here in the morning is horrible because oh, yeah. you literally like in that new, I don't know, they have 50,000 employees going there. But you think about that. You're trying to move a city in and out. Now, one of the things I think they would say and I mean, I've read some of the behind the scenes stuff is, no, 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 you need an office like that for collaboration. That sure. if you're working in Atlanta, I'm working in Toronto, we are not going to come up individually with uh, the iPhone 10, or we're not going to come up with, you know, the latest product from Samsung. We have to be in the same room grinding it out. There probably will be occasions like that where you have to do that. Or what do you think? I mean, how often are they going to do that? Is that daily, hourly for those employees? You yeah. know, I, I think there's this old dogma that exists that says, if I can't see you, I can't control you. Right. And, and it's a holdout from the industrial age. Because the industrial age, you built manufacturing and you put your workers in the middle right in front of you on the line and you put your managers around them. And if you look right. at traditional corporate office space today, what do you do? You put people in cubicles and you put the managers around them. It's the industrial age just That's right true. now. That's true. 
So I just think that there's a day coming where collaboration doesn't require walls or cubicles or yeah. you to be there. And it, it's already there. That's the funny thing. I just think that it's cool that Apple's doing that. They're creating a really killer monument for their future and they, and they, they're flush with cash. They can do that. But yeah. that's not the, that's not what most organizations can afford to do. So, you know, let's bring this down to super practical steps for church leaders who mostly are in, you know, if you're a portable startup, I get it. But you know, the dream is to have your building one day. If you're in bricks and mortar or you're in business and you're in bricks and mortar, what are some things every single leader needs to pay attention to when looking at the emerging workforce and how work will be done in the next five to 10 years? Like what is, this should be on everyone's radar screen and it's non-negotiable. What would you tell them? I think that responsiveness is no longer um, a nice to have for organizations, regardless whether they're for a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Re- responsiveness will be a non-negotiable expectation. And so you're going to have to create an environment where your employees are responsive. What, does, what do you mean by that? Responsiveness? Um, it's no longer okay for you to send a communication into an organization and them not reply in some way, shape, or form, um, even if it's a message back that something you may not want to hear. Right. The way it's going, companies are just figuring out how to basically become way more responsive. And a virtual employee can can do that. And, and I guess you could do that in an onsite employee, but I definitely see that responsiveness is going to become something that's very important for businesses to, to navigate. And you can create an environment where people have that flexibility and overlap that with each other so that they can become a more responsive organization. Gotcha. Yeah. Because there's a lot of disengaged workers, um, even in bricks and mortar for sure. Um, so responsiveness, engagement, anything else we should all be like, what do you say, to the 22 year old who wants the job, but doesn't want to come in and you've got everybody else is coming in. Like, what would you say to people still stuck in that model or in that I'd say model? Be pa- I'd say be patient. It's coming. But I'd also say, you know, you, you still got to work hard. You know, yeah. there's, you know, there, if you're, um, if you're a lazy worker, no one's going to want to hire you, whether that's in an, in an office or at home. So, you know, you've got to really, <laughs> you know, bust it and work really hard and, and care about that, that thing that's, you know, that you want to be about, um, improve yourself to be a really great worker because really great workers end up one day becoming really great leaders in most instances. Mm, that's a, that's a good word. And, and I guess virtual is no longer synonymous with lazy or different. Correct. I would agree. I think it's, if it's still there, it's going away at a rapid, rapid rate. Yeah. Brian, you got a brand new book. Tell us about it. It just came out last week. Yeah, I'm so excited about this book. This is seven years in the making. Um, For many years, organizations would come to me and say, how did, you know, startups like, hey, I never want to have an office. How do I do this? And then large organizations say, I have an office. I want to abandon it. You know, what what do you recommend? How did you do this for yourself? And so I felt like at seven years in and then winning this award um, and then, you know, making the Inc. 500 list, you know, three times, it just it was time to basically say, hey, this is our playbook. Yeah. This is not the playbook, but our playbook for how you could create a virtual organization if that's something you desire. Um, and then some predictions about, I think, the future of work, what that's going to look like. And then just some really practical things that we do on a day-to-day basis in our business, um, how we built a virtual culture. And so the book, it's, um, you know, it's kind of my manifesto, uh, if you will. Uh, it's, you know, virtual culture, the way we work doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's I really do believe title. that that's the case. I just think that people are faced with this reality of uh, virtual. Any predictions we missed for the future? I'm always interested in the future. I have friends who tell me I live in the future. I do think that, um, I do think that there's some ramifications coming in the future that we don't know quite yet in terms of um, regulations that the government might impose for a more virtual workforce. Right. Um, I, I just think that that's, that's going to happen. I think that, you know, um, to some extent, you read these reports like from Accenture or Intuit, and they talk about the, the pace at which people are adopting a virtual or remote type of workplace. I think the government's going to catch up to that and it's going gonna, it's gonna to change some dynamics in terms of like how um, payroll happens. I think that there's some new ways that are coming that are not like, you know, you traditionally are used to getting paid, you know, twice, uh, twice a month or once a month or something like that. Well, what if you could get paid once a day? Right. 
you know, and so, and how do you regulate that from a tax standpoint? I just think that there's, we're dynamically entering a season where off the, the stigma of an office or the things that come with an office with all that disappears in dust, then you're going to, you're going to have to find different ways to regulate, protect employees, insure them. In addition to all these old carcasses of buildings that are out there. Yeah. Fascinating how quickly things are changing. Well, the book is called Virtual Culture. Why? Say, say the subtitle. It's so good. I wish I thought of it. <laughs> the way we work doesn't work anymore. Oh, so good. And I think that is true. I think there's something broken in the model. You're helping to change it and really appreciate it. They can get that book on Amazon and wherever books are sold. That's and right. um, that's the place to go to see Brian's company, Shannon's company. And uh, it's a company that I use as well. And very grateful for that. In fact, we got some stuff there at belaysolutions.com slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y, if you want to check out options for you. And I would highly recommend it. So here's what we're going to do, Brian. You're in Atlanta. I'm north of Toronto. Um, and I know my uh, podcast manager, Holly Beth, who's on your team in Nashville, set all this up along with your assistant who's virtual page. I'm going to Dropbox this Dropbox this over to Toby in Iowa and it's going to magically appear on iTunes. Like isn't this a, an incredible world we live in? It's a great world we live in. It's yeah. awesome. It really is. Like this is this is this would have been impossible a decade ago or 20 yeah. years ago when I started out. So it's kind of fun. It really is. Yeah, yeah you you look at uh you know, the analogy of like the blockbusters of the world, you know, yeah. gone, you know, and they've replaced it with a Netflix that's producing the same uh, end result that people are able to watch content, but they didn't have to go where to, anywhere to get it. It just magically appeared all through, you know, an IP address. And so I think, I, th I think that the more that people just see in the real life every day, what's going on with them, they're leveraging technology. And, I, and the more that they can see that and how that spills over into the workplace, the better it's going to be for them and, and for their, their corporation. You can make it happen anywhere. I was laughing because I'm thinking, you know what, you and I, another thing we have in common is you've got this giant cable running across your yard um, <laughs> for great internet, right? Because that's one thing you didn't have at your house. That's right. And then I, I have great internet. Like I live in the middle of nowhere. And I have great internet, but I've got a cable running through my hedge and off my gutter into my house because our internet broke. And I'm like, no, this is non-negotiable. And yeah. it's funny. I've thought about that. I'm like, said to my wife, if we ever move, we can never move to a place with bad internet. We just can't. We, it's more important than property taxes, school districts. Like, I've just got to have great internet. And uh, fortunately, I do. And I, you know, we have five utilities at our house and I can live without four of them for, for a while. Right. But the internet is not one that I can run without. I have a generator and like if the power goes out, the internet still works. So yeah. <laughs> I made sure of that. <laughs> anyway, Brian, thanks. This is a joy. I'm going to have Shannon on and then I want to have both of you one day and we're going to talk about working together, starting a company as spouses because I think that is uh, beautiful, miraculous. You not only have a great company, you have a great marriage and a great family. And uh, you, you, that, you. that's just incredible. So... All right. Well, Brian, thank you so much for your time today. I have loved it as always. Thanks for building into our listeners and leaders. Thank you for this opportunity, Carrie. It's it's a joy and I'm cheering you on as well. You're an awesome leader and um, I'm just, uh, I'm proud that our organization in some small way can serve you. Well, it's a fun friendship. Thanks, Brian. Gosh, that's so interesting, isn't it? I think this is such an exciting time to be alive. And as a boss, I know it's challenging for some people. Uh, I know it's really exciting. For me, it's probably on the exciting side. I think this is like just, you know, the most amazing day that we happen to be in. And um, if you want to know more, remember Brian's book is called Virtual Culture. Uh, the way we work doesn't work. It's a manifesto. You can get it on Amazon. We got links to everything in the show notes. And if you want to check out Belay Solutions, I've got a little page because I use them to tell you about it. Just go to belaysolutions.com slash carry. And I've got uh, the person actually, Holly Bath, who does these show notes. Thank you, Holly Bath. You do a great job. Uh, she's in Nashville. She works with Belay. And then Leanne, who books all of my speaking and, and sort of does all of that aspect of what I do. Uh, she's in Florida and is a Belay 
uh, employee as well. And I'll tell you, they they are fantastic at what they do. So go to belaysolutions.com slash carry. Also remember, this is the last week to register for the Canadian Church Leaders Conference at the best rate. So go to canadianchurchleaders.ca and Rethink Leadership. Come hang out with us in Atlanta in April at rethinkleadership.com. Well, next week, uh, we are going to do some fun stuff. Margaret Spicer is my guest, and she is from Oz, from Australia. And she has done some amazing things in leading next-gen ministry at a mega church, actually the largest Baptist church in Australia, in Melbourne, or I'm going to try to say it right, Melbourne, as my friends would say in Australia. And, um, you know, families are a huge part of your church. And William Vanderblumen has said it here on the podcast before, but one of the most in-demand positions in the church today in North America is next-gen ministry. And Margaret Spicer spills the beans on what it takes to lead up, to influence change, and to lead an effective next-gen ministry. Here's an excerpt from next week's episode. I love that um, old African ver- um, you know, proverb, isn't it? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And the, the big thing for that is, is it takes time to build team. Yeah. And it takes some candid conversation, some training, some opportunities. But when you start to build team and play to your strengths, I think you get momentum that you'll never get by yourself. And you'll you'll move through that glass ceiling that we all have when we just do it for ourselves. Um, we actually can go in different places because we bring other voices around the table. Okay, so that's next week on the podcast. Subscribers, you know it drops automatically every Tuesday. And uh, we got a great host of people coming up too. So thanks so much for listening today. Remember to check out trainedup.church and uh, make sure that you get in on training your volunteers for this year. And we'll see you next week. I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.